watching online, uh, if, you, if you're just joining us, welcome. Uh, today we are in week two of our 40 days of prayer. Uh, and so we just read the scripture and recited it together. Uh, we said last week this is uh, the most famous prayer and the kind of central best prayer in the scriptures because it is Jesus teaching us how to pray. And so for these six weeks, we are uh, joining together with the rest of our Alliance family all over this country, uh, and we are in 40 days of prayer together. I want to encourage you uh, to go out to the Resource Center. There are five more full-color, beautiful printed copies of the devotional out there. They're in manila folders, so be warned, they're not stapled together, uh, because the week we got the printer ink, we ran out of staples. So you, you know, you get what you get. Uh, but... Uh, you can grab one of those out there. You can also find it at uh, cmalliance.org slash 40 days. Uh, and if you're on our mail li mailing list, it's in that email that you got or the text as well. Uh, and so we, as I said, are in week two. Uh, and so just as a reminder uh, of where we've come from, uh, the opening line that we covered last week, we really focused in on our Father uh, in heaven. And so that was the line we really... Uh, talk through last week, and that really gives us a foundation by which we build our prayer life. Uh, so remember, this is an assumption in the New Testament and by Jesus that you're praying, right? It, it's, it's assumed that prayer is part of your uh, spiritual life. And so in, when Jesus answers the question, how should we pray, he begins with God. Uh, and that's just kind of a general principle for all of life. Begin with God uh, and that your foundation will be good. And so uh, he begins with God and who God is in relation to us. And hopefully you remember that the way Jesus started that prayer was really revolutionary. Uh, Jesus starts uh, by this kind of mind-blowing truth that God is, and we use this word, Abba, Father. Now, we covered that this, yes, the word daddy or dada kind of translates, but it doesn't work. And so the better way to think about it might be something like dearest father. Uh, still some reverence there, but also an intimacy there as well. Both are there. So it's our father in heaven, and that kind of combines those two things. So God is not distant. He is not aloof. He is not off in the distance, unaware of what's going on in your life. He is Abba. He is close. He is there, but he is still the God who is in the heavens. Uh, and so we see that when this foundational awareness, uh, what it leads to is, again, hallowed be your name. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. This combination of intimacy and transcendence that Jesus says God has in, in who he is. Uh, and so this kind of takes us back, if you want, back to Moses when he says, what should I call you? And God basically says, there's no name that can contain me. I just am. And we see Jesus sort of echoing that here in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, intimacy, hallowed be your name, transcendence. And so if this is the starting point of our prayers, it'd be pretty tough if that's authentically where your heart is at. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's pretty tough to then do anything in that prayer that's not pleasing to the Father. If that's your foundation and your starting point and your heart posture, that's pretty tough to, to displease him. So with that in mind, we sort of now take up what's a second petition in the prayer, uh, which is in the beginning of verse 10, your kingdom come. Uh, so really fascinating that we're talking about kingdom today. Doug, you mentioned kingdom as well. Uh, and, and this is a central teaching of, this is the central teaching of Jesus, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And we've talked about it 
forever uh, since I've been here, and you can expect more of it because it's the central teaching of Jesus. And so this second sort of phrase, your kingdom come, really it's just an extension of that first section. Uh, It's sort of, if you think of looking up to God, your kingdom come is sort of the next breath that you take as you look up to God. The Hebrew sort of thought structure really really demands, if you will, that you understand your kingdom come and your will be done as really echoes or kind of making bigger the idea in hallowed be your name. These are very connected ideas. You can't have the first without the other. And so the, the proper, if you will, hallowing of God's name, of making God's name holy and big, the proper way to do that includes praying that his kingdom will come and his will will be done. And so prayer for the kingdom is part of the pattern of prayer for our lives. The kingdom of heaven is a central part of how we think about praying. Uh, And so there's been a number of sort of um, incomplete or less than ideal uh, interpretations that people have given to the meaning of your kingdom come. Uh, Frankly, I'm sure that we're in one of those now as well. And in 100 years, they're going to look back and say, ah, they kind of got that sort of incomplete. Uh, Some have argued this is a prayer for the second coming of Jesus and that's it. That Jesus is praying for the second coming, that God, your kingdom come, and that it has nothing really to do with the present life. Others have seen your kingdom come as a call to this life now and nothing else, to social action and nothing else. That it's a mandate to, to sort of bring the kingdom now in through good works. And then there's maybe some others who see your kingdom come as sort of only focused on the saving of souls. And what we want to do, what we want to see today, is how really all three of those ideas are there and they are pressing in on us from all sides and calling us upward into life with God by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. That all of those ideas are there. That the coming of Jesus is really a thing that we care about, especially in our Alliance Church. It's one of our four main values. Jesus is our coming king. And yet at the same time, that doesn't relieve us from life now. And yet at the same time, we are called to share the good news of Jesus with our mouth, with words, because it's news. And so let's talk about what your kingdom come is not saying. Your kingdom come is not suggesting in any way, and this is a short point, that God has not been or is not presently the sovereign king over everything. We're not saying that when we say your kingdom come. We're not saying that his reign is only in the future. He, he's already holy, so he is already king, one commentator said. He is already holy, and so he is already king, reigning in absolute sovereignty over both nature and history. Uh, the Psalms themselves in Psalm 24 say the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and the world to those who dwell within. And so God is already king. This is not a, Jesus is not saying, God, maybe someday you'll be king and your kingdom will come. No, it's not what he's getting at. God is king. His kingdom expands the entire universe. He created all that there is, seen and unseen. And yet Jesus obviously knew that the full manifestation of the kingdom of heaven that he was talking about was also not yet here. You might hear this phrase, the already not yet nature of the kingdom. This is always there in the New Testament. And so then the second aspect of this reality is that although God is already king, his reign is is still also somehow in the future. It's also coming 
And the verb there that Jesus uses, your kingdom come, that word come, it actually refers to a decisive time in the future that will only happen once. We're not talking about just metaphors in the sky here. This is a decisive moment in the future, in history, that will happen. It will be once and for all, and an event is going to happen. This event is the second advent of Jesus. We just came through the season of advent. Now, technically, we're, we just finished Christmas tide, if you will, but the season of advent, the coming of Jesus, the first time positions us then to look for the second advent, the second coming. And so uh, th- that event is an event in, in the history of the world where Jesus is going to come, he's going to judge the world, and he's going to set up his kingdom in its full manifestation forever. And so the idea in the Greek uh, that's translated your kingdom come is actually so strong that there have been those in the history of the church, uh, one of whom, an example I'm going to give you, Tertullian, changed the order of the prayer in his translation. He, He put your will be done on earth as it is in heaven before your kingdom come. And so his reasoning was that after the kingdom comes, there's no need to pray your will be done because it will be done in his kingdom. And his reasoning is wrong, but he, de- he, he understands that your kingdom come is a prayer calling forward or calling towards us that forward future kingdom when under the rule of Jesus, your sins will be purified. Your heart will no longer have it in you to sin. Everything that's dark in you will be made light. Everything that's crooked in you will be made straight. Distrust, shame, all those things will be gone. There will be no need for courtrooms or judges or prisons in the coming kingdom because those things won't have a need. And everything in our lives and in our hearts will be done for the glory of God. That's what's coming in the kingdom of heaven. And that's what Jesus is teaching us to pray towards. And, and we've longed for this since, since the fall. Whether or not we knew that it was even connected to the kingdom of heaven, we have, in the history of humanity, always had this idea of what's the good life that's coming. And that's that idea underneath. We yearn for a time when, as Romans 14 says, there will be righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, which is in Paul's description of this coming kingdom. Now, really important for us to avoid another error here. The ultimate manifestation of the kingdom of God that we experience now, uh, that we experience just shadows of now, uh, will only be experienced in fullness at the coming of Jesus. We have to understand this. That the full manifestation of the kingdom, that everything that you experience good is a shadow of right now, will only come in its fullness at the coming of Jesus. There have been many Christians, and, and some in recent decades of sort of uh, our stream of Christianity who de-emphasized this reality to the point that uh, what, what was taught was that the church, through kind of just evangelism, could slowly but surely sort of Christianize the entire culture of a nation after, and nation after nation and eventually the entire world and so sort of usher in the kingdom of God. Now there is something there But the problem with this is that both church history and the teachings of Jesus himself, like the parable we covered recently on the wheat and the weeds, that that teaching tells us that the church and its influence over this world will never be universal or perfect until the return of Jesus. We live in a tension. 
And so as I was reading and prepping this week, I came across a quote from a sermon in 1945. I think you pronounce the last name Tillichy, Helmut Tillichy, a German theologian. He's a pastor. Uh, and so listen to what he said to his congregation and, and understand, he's standing basically in rubble as he's preaching this. Their homes, their church had been destroyed by air raids. And as I read this, I could not help but think about what's happening in Ukraine and in other places in the world over the last, even just over the last few days as, as fighting has kind of kicked back up. Listen to what he says. We must not think of the kingdom as a gradual Christianization of the world, which will increasingly eliminate evil. Such dreams and delusions, which may have been plausible enough in more peaceful times, have vanished in the terrors of our man-made misery. The 19th century and the 20th century, right? Which brought forth a number of these dreams and dreamers strikes us today as being an age of unsuspecting children. Who can utter the word progress today without getting a flat taste in his mouth? Who can still believe today that we are developing toward a state in which the kingdom of God reigns in the world of nations, in culture, and in the life of the individual? The earth has been plowed too deep by the curse of war. The streams of blood and tears have swollen all too terribly. Injustice and bestiality have become all too cruel and obvious for us to consider such dreams to be anything but bubbles and froth. Now, here is what is paradoxically true about his sermon. This sermon, if you read it, is actually filled with optimism and encouragement. In the same sermon, he says this, in the, in the world of death, in this empire of ruins and shell-torn fields, we defiantly pray thy kingdom come. We pray it more fervently than ever. That is Christian hope. When we pray, Abba, Father, your kingdom come. The reality is that the kingdom of God is coming. It is coming in the future, and it is coming into the world now in your life. There is coming a day in history when, as we see in Revelation 15, the angels are going to sing this, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Then... Everybody, all the world, will not only have him as sovereign God, but they will have him as Abba Father. And that will be the, the song that goes on. Then the next to last verse in the book of Revelation, you may have heard it a, a bunch of times. It says this, amen, come Lord Jesus. This is the same prayer. Your kingdom come, come Lord Jesus. We want you here now. And so... Does this kind of longing for the coming of our King Jesus and the coming kingdom of his Father God mark our prayer life? Is it part of how you pray? Lord, bring your kingdom into the brokenness of my street, of my relationships, in my workplace, in my heart. Do you desire the coming of the King and of his kingdom? Then pray for it. Pray for that future day to come soon so that we can know fully the beauty of living in the kingdom of God. So then if we're praying for the future coming of the kingdom, does that mean that we can just float through this life not caring for the here and now? That's a rhetorical question. The answer is no. Do we get to be as, this is an old quote that I used to not think was, I used to think was pretty wrong, but now I'm kind of like, ah, might, might be kind of right. Do we get to be so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good? 
the Apostle Paul, in his words, would say, may it never be. No. When Jesus came to earth, and I want you to think about this, he brought the kingdom of God in his person. That's what he was bringing. When he began his public ministry, the very first words out of his mouth after reading from Isaiah were, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here. And later he said of himself, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. That's in Luke 17. And so what we can say, uh, we, we can say that Jesus was the kingdom. He, he was the manifestation of the kingdom of God because he was the only person who has ever fully accepted and fully carried out the will of his hallowed name, Abba Father. And so Jesus passion when he was ministering on earth was the kingdom that's what he talked about that's what he ministered to that's what he invited people into it was the major theme of his preaching his most important sermon the sermon on the mount is about the kingdom and so the word kingdom occurs 49 times in matthew 16 times in mark and 38 times in the book of luke 103 times just in the synoptic gospels and before he went to the cross, in Luke 4, we, we read Jesus' words where he says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. Jesus was sent to announce the kingdom of God. And what's the message of the kingdom of God? It's the same message the angels said when they came out of the sky at Christmas. Good news of great joy. Peace. God is offering you peace in his kingdom. After the resurrection, the kingdom was still Jesus' passion. He appeared to his disciples in Acts 1, and it says, during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God, talking about Jesus. That's what he talked about. Preaching the kingdom was his consuming passion. So how did Jesus bring the kingdom? Well, primarily by bringing men and women into obedience and conformity to the will of God the Father. This is the meaning of your kingdom come in the context of Jesus' prayer, right? Because immediately following your kingdom come, he says, basically a parallel phrase, your will be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Those who are in God's kingdom strive, desire, want to do God's will. And they actually do it. So, that's a question for us, a self-diagnostic. Do you find in yourself a desire to do the will of God, and do you actually do it? If so, that's the Holy Spirit talking to your spirit, reminding you that you are a child of God. When we see this, the kingdom becomes really, really personal. Why? Because, first, we, we want to go, I like to do what I want to do. I have my own will, my own volition. But being in the kingdom means that my will is submitted to God's will. It means repentance, right? Jesus often combined the idea of repentance and the kingdom of God. He often said, as he said in Mark and in Matthew, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. What's the gospel? Good news about the kingdom of God. So being a Christian, a member of the kingdom, means that we don't just always do what we want. We do what God wants. One of my uh, favorite phrases from the time I was in Bible college is, is attributed to St. Augustine. I don't know if he really said it, but it's a good phrase. And, and his idea was, love God and do as you please. 
Why? When you love God, your will is submitted to his will. So what you please to do is what he would have already told you to do. So to pray your kingdom come is actually an act first of repentance. The second thing is that this is a a prayer of commitment, right? Praying your kingdom come is a commitment prayer. Jesus doesn't pull punches when he teaches. He said this in Luke 9. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Another thing Jesus said, let the dead bury their dead. You follow me. The kingdom of God is an all-in kingdom. It's for those who want to follow Jesus and not keep looking back. To pray your kingdom come is to commit ourselves to the will of God and his kingdom in our world. And then the kingdom is to be preeminent. It's to be the main thing. The kingdom of God doesn't fit into your life. Your life fits into the kingdom. Jesus gave an authoritative word in Matthew 6. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and what? All these things will be added to you. We are stuck on the these things. We think, let me, Jesus, let me worry about the these things and then I'll get to your kingdom. And Jesus is saying, no. If you look back while you're plowing, if you worry about the things of this world, let the dead bury their dead. You follow me first and these things will be added to you. But, but in that phrase, Seek first. Do you hear the word seek? This is an action word, right? We, we seek the kingdom. We go after the kingdom. We simultaneously long for the coming of the future kingdom while we actively seek the kingdom in the here and the now. And so this really gets rid of any idea that you might have of like armchair Christianity. That isn't, that's not a thing. You can't pray the Lord's prayer while you're sitting on your hands, To pray your kingdom come is to pursue it, to seek it. But how do we pursue it? What does going after the kingdom of God look like practically? So for that, look to Jesus. Obvious Sunday school answer, right? How do we know? Jesus. What do we see Jesus doing over and over and over during his time on earth? Well, it's two things predominantly. Speaking about the kingdom and bringing kingdom realities to bear on people's lives, i.e. serving people. Speaking about the kingdom and serving people everywhere he went. And we fall into error when either of those two aspects of seeking the kingdom are missing from our lives. Serve others without ever speaking of the kingdom of heaven. You're simply meeting felt needs, but you neglect to address the greatest need that anyone has, which is to be invited into the kingdom of God and to submit their life to Jesus to enter into the kingdom by faith in Jesus alone. So speak about the kingdom of heaven without ever serving those around you and you paint a false picture of what that kingdom is like. The kingdom of heaven is not simply a kingdom of right words and right beliefs. It is not less than that, but it is more than that. And it's now. So to pray your kingdom come is to defy and to reject the kingdoms of this world. Understand that you are making a defiant stand against the kingdoms of this world when you go after the kingdom of heaven. You are saying the values of this world are nothing compared to the values of the kingdom. And and for many places and in many times, that is an act almost of war. That's what Jesus was about. 
And so to pray your kingdom come is to defy and reject the ways of the kingdoms of this world, the empires of this world, and to pull the realities of that future kingdom into the here and now. So to pray your kingdom come is a commitment to live out the ethics of the Sermon on the Mount by the grace of God. If you wonder, what should I be doing as a Christian? What should my life look like? Go read the Sermon on the Mount again and again and again and chase after that. That would be kingdom living now, right? A poverty of spirit, a mourning over the sin of the world, a humility that comes out of that attitude and that action, a hungering, a thirsting for righteousness, a merciful, forgiving spirit. You are not being discipled in those things in this empire, in this world. You are being discipled in the opposite of those things. And all of that for the glory of Jesus, our King. Now, one of the things that happens when we talk like this about the kingdom is that we tend to think in grand, big terms, right? And I I mean, that's good. We should do that. We we hear kingdom and many of us begin to think about big society level issues that our church is going to create movement towards and we're going to change. And yes, And that's good and right. But I just want to leave you with a thought that I had this week. So part of what I looked at uh, was an idea that we see in a few places in the New Testament where Christians will be ruling and reigning with Jesus in the coming kingdom. We see that in the the scriptures. Now, some of us really love that idea. I would just check that out if that's you. You're like, yeah, I want to rule. Now, if that's true, then it follows that part of what our discipleship to Jesus looks like is preparing us for that, right? Preparing us for the day when we rule with him in his coming kingdom, and also that this preparation is now bringing the kingdom to bear on our lives, even in tiny, small ways, right? Another language that's used in the New Testament is that we are ambassadors from one kingdom representing in another kingdom, And so here's where the kingdom of God just really flips everything in its head. In the New Testament, over and over and over, particularly in the life of Jesus himself, we see the idea of what we might call authority is always closely tied for followers of Jesus to servanthood. Right? What does Jesus say? You call me rabbi, and you're right to call me that. Now watch what I do, and he washes feet. He gives his life as a ransom for many. That's where his authority is is placed. So in the kingdom of God, Jesus tells his followers, you see how the Gentile rulers lord it over their people, but it will not be so with you. That's not how my kingdom works. And so it's always closely tied to serving. You want to be great in the kingdom, be a servant. So then, if we know that we will be ruling with Jesus in his coming future kingdom, and if we know that ruling in the kingdom is about service, what does this mean for us now? Well, here's where the little word picture comes into play. And I've shared this with a couple people at uh, Wednesday morning prayers. I was cleaning uh, the kitchen the other day. And so um, in our house, the kitchen is like my domain. I cook in there. I clean it. I move stuff around. I don't tell anybody. It's my spot. All right? Where are the cups? Well, it's it's my kitchen. Um, But I was cleaning. I didn't really want to be cleaning at that moment. I was kind of begrudging about it. I was thinking about the sermon, and I was overwhelmed and stressed out and all that stuff. Uh, And the dishwasher was broken, and how am I going to fix that? And then it was like just the, I don't know if you've had that, the, the little small voice of the Holy Spirit just reminded me that in that moment, even this can be how your kingdom come happens. Even the mundane, small things that are part of all of our lives can be done in such a way They are bringing God's kingdom to bear on our world of chaos and disorder. 
And you might be like, what? Washing the dishes? Yes. Why? Even the little mundane things that need to be done in your life can be seen as God giving you practice for ruling in his kingdom. And here's why this just, I don't know why it was just struck me as profound in that moment. Because th- th- here's what it means. It means that everything in your life, everything can be part of seeking the kingdom. Everything. Even simple things like folding laundry, doing dishes with a heart to serve people in your home. Even simple things like caring for your coworker in like a really simple way. There's a million things we could name here, but, but here's just the thought I want to leave you with. Nothing in your life is disconnected from the kingdom of God. Nothing in your life is disconnected from the kingdom of God. So when you pray, your kingdom come, understand that this is a call to look to the future kingdom and long for it, but also to pull that kingdom into the here and now by the grace and the power of God in your life as you live towards the kingdom that's coming. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this time, even this hour or so that we get to experience a shadow of what's coming for us in the kingdom, that you're calling people from every tribe, tongue, nation, background together, that we're bound together by the blood of your son. And we thank you that we get to be here and be in this room together. And I just pray, ask that this week as we go out that this prayer pattern would become just a pattern of prayer for us that as we study this prayer over the next weeks lord that you would move in us in new ways and we ask that you would bless the rest of our time together today and that we would go out from here and be able to share this good news of your kingdom with people that are around us in word and in deed and we pray all this in your name amen